This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. This is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks at our favorite childhood movies. This week, we are taking a look at back at my favorite movie, The Princess Bride. Aggressive. <laughs> uh, to see if our nostalgia is warranted. I just wanted to get that in there, because last week you said that Willow was, and you put in a caveat, one of your favorite childhood films. I just want to be clear. This is my favorite movie. I don't have a favorite favorite because there's too many. We will be going into why I chose this one as my favorite as we go through uh, in long form. But to start us off, uh, I have got a 60 second synopsis, which I could not write up. Actually, it's going to be about a 90 second synopsis. I'm going to admit failure right here because I broke it down to its bare bones for this story, and I don't think I can remove anything else. So do you even want a timer, or are we just going to go don't, until you I'm going to go through it as quickly <laughs> as possible, uh, but I feel like the timer is just going to butt in near the end of it. I think it goes to like a minute 20. So Sarah's still the winner. Yeah, Sarah has won this every time. In fact, her lack of preparation and lack no. of... Actually, the quickest one I did was it's the one true. I wrote down last time. That's true. That is true. All right. Well, give me a countdown, even if you don't have a timer, and I will get this thing going. Three, two, one, go. A kid is sick in bed, so his grandfather comes over to read him a book, The Princess Bride. The rest of the movie is a story of the book, beginning with a commoner buttercup and her farmhand Wesley falling in love. Wesley le- leaves to find a fortune worthy of buttercup, but is killed by the dread pirate Roberts. Five years later, buttercup is still broken, but chosen by Prince Humperdinck to be his bride. While on her daily ride, buttercup is captured by Ficini and his crew, Fezzik and Inigo. Before they get far, they are pursued by mysterious men of black who best Inigo and steal Fezzik and strength Ficini in a battle of wits. He admits the buttercup to be the dread pirate Roberts and to kill her love and berates her for marrying another. After she shows him the pain she is truly in, Roberts reveals he is actually Wesley and the lo- lovers reunite. Prince Humperdinck and Count Rugen, a six-fingered man in- Inigo is looking for, catch up with the lovers, and Buttercup returns to Humperdinck on the promise that Wesley will be set free. Despite this, Rugen takes Wesley to the pit of despair and tortures him. Buttercup tells Humperdinck she loves Wesley and can't marry him, threatening suicide, as Fezzik and Inigo reunite and realize they need the men in black to plan Inigo's revenge. Upset, Humperdinck kills Wesley, uh, but his screams reveal his location to Inigo and Fezzik. Finding him dead, the two take him to a local miracle man and revive him, but he is mostly paralyzed as the miracle takes effect. Despite this, the three storm the castle. Inigo finds Ru- Rugen and gets his revenge, and Wesley reunites with Buttercup and bluffs out Humperdinck so the four can make their escape and live happily ever after. Did you realize you kept saying Indigo? Inigo. He, I know his Inigo. he is a color now. Inigo. 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 You know, Inigo. I'm really if disappointed, If you say it quickly, it does sound like indigo. I know it's... Inigo. Inigo. I, I'm just disappointed because I was yes. really hoping you would start it off and say, let me explain. My name no, is Inigo. let me sum up. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's too much. Let me sum up. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's get into long form. What did you guys see as adults that you may have missed as children? Literally nothing, because I have seen this movie probably a million times. <laughs> <laughs> a million's a little high. Literally for me. a million. Um, I, I've, it's definitely yes, in the that is hyperbole, but I have seen this so many. So times. this film is interesting because I didn't find it as a child. I watched it as an adult. Uh, or a semi-adult. Uh, so I watched this film the most in the summer between my high school and college year where I watched this movie every day that summer. <laughs> every day. That is like me with Newsies. Yeah, Ooh. so like I love this film and it became my favorite because it is so rewatchable. You're always finding it's, new it's things true. in it. And like the film, uh, it... For me, on this watch, it started out slow, and I started debating, is this really still my favorite movie? And it won me over by the end, the same day that it wins over the kid sitting in bed as his grandfather is reading to him. So I, I will, I, I know I saw this when I was a kid. I don't remember wh when it was. I just remember that I was younger. I remember that the princess got kidnapped and that... Dread Pirate Roberts is Wesley who defeats those three and mm -hmm. then they find out they do the fire swamp, et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't remember the whole side story that the reason she was kidnapped yeah. was because they were trying to start a war with the, some other country Gilder. and they needed a reason to do it. So I I did, did I had completely forgot that was even a thing. I just thought, oh, they're the bad guys, so they kidnapped her. But I think what what's what as a kid was weird to me is how these are the bad guys in air quotes that the listeners can't see me doing, and <laughs> and in the end they end up helping Wesley, who is the hero, which was interesting to me that the bad guys of the movie, they start off being the villains and then suddenly they're not anymore. So it was confusing as a kid, I think, but well, it, it worked. And I mean, Fezzik says he doesn't, didn't realize there was going to be any killing. They're hired hand. True. Right. I think and me, Inigo yeah. on the boat also disagrees with Vecini's plans. Um, I think my first memory of this movie, I have a vague memory of probably what, like, it's probably around six, and I remember the Cliffs of Insanity thing. Yeah. So I don't really have a memory of, like, a time before watching this movie. <laughs> like, I watched this with my mom a lot. It's a great uh, movie. It is. Uh, so I have this on VHS somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, part of what we'll get into is, um, so in preparation for this one, I may have prepared for this one more than any other, uh, except for maybe the anniversary episode, because I read Carrie Ellis's book, As You Wish, where he talks about his experience going through The Princess Bride. Uh, so you're not alone in that, like, you watch this with your family, because the film did horribly in theaters. It found its cult following uh, when VHS was starting, and it became the VHS that everyone owned and watched a million times. Kind of similar to Clue, because Clue, it took a while for, like, that's a huge movie now, but it, it? bombed. I never yeah. even knew it was a thing until you made me watch it that oh, one time. Oh, Mark, it is a cult classic. <laughs> we should it do is. Clue. We should. 
so part of what I'll do here, uh, let me a little on, is a review of the book. So this will be part movie review, part <laughs> book review. And also probably part another book review because I read true. a different yeah, book. I, well, you, you're the one of us that has read The Princess Bride in book form, which was, was uh, an adaptation of that William Goldman, the author of that book, also wrote. Uh, and the the story of how this film got made is pretty interesting because it, it was, was in cursed. development hell for something like 15 to 20 years. Yet several people attempted to make it and then kind of lost their jobs for different reasons, but it was seen as being cursed for a while. And I think uh, he bought it the rights back he at did, one point yes. because he wanted to kind of clear slate it. Yeah, and Rob and Reiner, the director of this film, had to meet with him personally to like sit down. It's like, hey, can I please make your movie? Because Rob Reiner's father was friends with the author, and it just had... But, I mean, I've read the book, and the book is great. The book is really, yeah. really funny. And, and for being a kind of different concept, obviously, it doesn't have the child in the bed. It has a concept of the way they do it and still have those kind of um, kind of interruptions that the child does. It's an adaptation and you have these footnotes where the author is interrupting and saying, why is this happening? This doesn't make sense. And so that instead of having it be this abridged book, they change it over to the kid in the bed, which makes more sense for the movie. But they kept that idea of someone interrupting the story and someone telling the story to someone that I think is a really neat adaptation thing that they did yeah i love that in this film uh because it it tells the audience how to react to this fantasy setting Mm -hmm. uh because part of my critique of the film uh, especially on this watch where i haven't seen it for a very long time is that it goes and it goes quickly uh so you don't have a lot of time to attach to any of the characters before the plot just gets moving there's not really a first act in this film it's like Mm. starts mid second act um and i don't think a lot of audience would know how to uh like attach to the characters in that way but having another like the child in the bed giving critiques to his grandfather, um, grandfather, 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 (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, and like breaking in to have him stop at certain points of what he doesn't understand. It tells the audience, okay, this is how we connect to it. Cause we are all that little kid. What I find kind of interesting, even just about those two is they don't really have very big i mean they don't have much screen time throughout the film but technically they are what the movie is telling us because because they're just sitting Andy. there reading the book and they're then the audience surrogate. they have pretty good big name actors in these two roles that don't really that aren't really much in the movie but had, they're had well known started by that point yet mm, yes no i, I can't talk to that he does look like the same age he was in in wonder years so it was either before this or shortly thereafter shortly thereafter that started in 88 and this was 87 right uh but let's um 
But I mean, obviously, Peter Falk. Peter was Falk had Falk already done Columbo at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, Peter Falk didn't know if he was old enough to be this man's grandfather, so they <laughs> tried a bit. Um, I feel did they did they make his hair whiter because they I did could, make his hair whiter. They like also tried him little... initially with prosthetics, but that looked like his face was bandaged in some way, and so they rightfully got rid of that. So, so one of the things I love that they keep is one of the first things that gets mentioned is. He reads the title of the book, and he says it's The Princess Bride by S. Morgenstern, which is the name of the fake author of the book, which I think is great, because the whole concept is the book is ridiculous, because there's this whole... It's it's this whole fake author who ends up being the fake author of a later book called The Silent Gondoliers. The whole thing gets continued. <laughs> there's a whole fake introduction chapter by... um. William uh, Goldman Goldman about like where he talks about he wrote this this book for his child and he was going through this divorce and blah and it's all made up this whole <laughs> beginning and he was read this child this book is by his father whole things made up it's this whole fake universe of condensing this old historical novel and it's ridiculous and I love it and I I'm glad they had that nod to S Morgan Stern in uh. in the movie because. Yeah, Just read the book. It's I like it. Well, yeah, I William Goldman loves this story. Like he wrote it, and this is his favorite piece of literature. Because he wrote it for his daughters. And, yeah. and I, I like that that carries over to having this this narration by the grandfather. It has that thing of that family relationship of reading to a family member, to a child. Mm-hmm. And and keeping that. And it and it it's it's a very later thing is the way the movie ends is having that relationship be solidified more mm-hmm. and having that call back to the book, which we'll get to when we get to the end. But. Yeah. And um, so one of the great things about the As You Wish book that I read is that there's tons of inserts by the people who were in the movie or worked on the movie about their experience. And William Goldman has an insert talking about writing The Princess Bride. Uh, he asked his daughters what they wanted a story of, and one just screamed yeah. princesses. And so the next day he wrote two pages and then let it sit for like 10 years and then picked it up and finished it. Uh, so let's get into the movie proper. Uh, so I guess the best way to do this, since the plot is so well known, is not to go through the plot. I mean, that's kind of what the 60-second synopsis is supposed to take care of. It gives us the framework yeah. to talk it. Can can we just talk about how pretty Robin Wright is in this movie and how I want to steal her hair? Oh, yeah. It's Though so You haven't done a She's, hair review for us in a while. That's true. The way I think we should maybe go about this is going by character by character. So okay. let's... You already talked about Robin Wright's hair. Let's talk about Robin Wright in this film. As Buttercup. Yes. So I don't remember her as much as I remember, say, Wesley or Inigo or Vicini. Because to Same. me, she, as in my she, memory, she didn't have that large of a role. She's playing the Princess Peach roles where she's, she's getting captured. Yes. But she's, I on, on further yeah. rewatch, no, she is the heart of the film. Yes. She's what connects That's what I would everything. Say. I would say she's... She's less of the Princess Peach and more of the Princess Zelda. Mm. If that makes any sense to people, where she's really 
she has kind of once she gets past being a jerk in that first like minute and a half. Oh, but um, I loved her being a jerk. Like I believe that relationship because like it's a little kid relationship where the girl is constantly teasing the boy and then oh, it looks like they actually like each other. But she's this is a role that with anyone else could be really a boring character, but she's so like pure and likable that everyone is kind of drawn to her in the movie. And so you kind of understand why Wesley's fighting so much to get back to her, Mm -hmm. why people are willing to help, things like that. Because she's she's the center of everything. She is this very genuinely good person who is, she's willing to go back to someone she hates to protect someone she loves. She's willing to do all these things. And I think she does a really good job of making this character truly interesting and enjoyable and not just i'm a boring girl right i think my my trouble with the character is most of the time when we are seeing her it is like before her capture or during her capture where she is very subdued she has lost her true love part of herself has died uh and so that it's not a very energetic character it's not one you can really attach to because she is so lonely in the world uh, though that's a stark contrast than what she did in the beginning and who she is at the end. And I have to credit her for her yeah. wonderful performance in this. I And she has some moments where she has very subtle things that I think are really, really great. She has one when they're in the fire swamp and Wesley's like, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought. And she just <laughs> she looks just at him, him like he's look. this stupidest <laughs> man on the planet. He's like, oh, I wouldn't want to build a vacation. And I, she's just like, I'm not saying I want to build a me? summer home here, but yeah. the trees are actually quite lovely. <laughs> but she has this look like he's the dumbest man she's ever met. And it is such a good look. Like, just just these subtle facial expressions that yes. are just so funny. And I, I've come to appreciate her more watching it because uh. of that subtlety. Uh, so, again, going back to the As You Wish book, it talks about her previous experience, and she was a soap opera star. Yeah, she was on Santa Barbara? Yes, I believe that is yes. the one. And soap operas are not known for their subtlety. Uh, no. And so I wonder if she, like, obviously she was able to bring a different part of her acting ability to this and didn't play it over the top, even though yeah. that's what she was experienced in. Soap operas are kind of like superhero movies where you are you have to act up to the plot, and because the plot is so much over the top, your emotions have to be there as well. And obviously this isn't that, and so it, mm-hmm. it's kind of this range you have to see. Yeah. And this, when did Forrest Gump come out? 90s? 90s. Oh, right, 90s? yeah. Yeah, because she was something. also in that. Yeah, yeah. So I... And she's lovely in that as well, as much as I don't like Forrest Gump. So one of the things she's doing really well in this film is her British accent, because she is not English in the slightest. Uh, no, she's not. Her father was born in England, and she kind of grew up around that accent, but that's not the natural way she talks. And that's she is an from accent. Texas. That's an accent that is very hard to fake, but she does it really well. I think we've all. I know I've done a show where I had to attempt a fake yeah. British accent, and I was awful. I can do over-the-top Cockney. I can't do it, a subtle English accent. I can do really, really precise British better than I can do, like, like I'm, like I'm a very, like, an angry nanny. I could do more than I could do Cockney, because my mouth cannot move in that so way. So you're right. saying that you are Mary Poppins? No, I was thinking more like Super Nanny, where oh, they I was shove the kid McPhee. in the angry square. 
Yeah, more like Fanny. <laughs> but like that's the reality show where they're like, go in the angry corner. Go in the angry corner. <laughs> okay. All right. But, uh, but so moving on, let's talk about her counterpart in the f- counterpoint. Counter. Never mind. Uh, in the film, <laughs> counterpart is the word I was looking yes. for. Not counterfeit or counterpoint. Uh, Carrie Owes playing Wesley. Oh, I I, love him. I like him in this. I I don't remember if I saw this one or Robin Hood Men in Tights. Right. But I, and then he was also in Glory, and I had I've seen What's those Glory? three movies as young as when I was younger, and I can't remember which one I saw first. But every time I saw, I was like, man, he's in all these movies that I right. like. But so for me, uh, I I've never even heard of Glory. What? So. so I can only think of him in this film, even though I've seen him in lots of other places. He was in Twister. He was in Liar oh, Liar. True. He was in Saw. Well, we don't talk about Liar Liar. Okay, we don't. We, Why? we I don't. I hate that movie. <laughs> okay, you don't. <laughs> uh, but oh, also, even if we talk about Liar Liar, we don't talk about him being in Liar Liar. Fine. Yes, he's. He was but, also in Psych. He was very good. Oh yeah, yeah I would I agree with you though. He was the like. IP. If you think of him as an actor, I think it, either this one or Men in Tights Men are in the tights. two yeah. movies that I think of him in. And I don't love that in that I feel like Men in Tights almost deludes this performance since it is exactly the same character, yes, the same yeah, archetype. Exactly. Uh, well, they're and both I think, Errol Flynn um, Yes, they're Errol Flynn remakes, it. so to speak. Uh, but also, Men in Tights is not as good of a movie as this one. Ooh. I don't like Mel Brooks I, I, for me does not help, uh, but we won't get into ooh. that. Shots I, fired. I guess I, I do kind of agree, but I do like that movie. So yeah, so they're they're very different categories of movies, so it's hard to compare. That's fair. So uh, interesting tidbit again for me that book is. Uh, Carrie Elwes was the only person they considered for this role. Uh, they had three roles that they offered to one person, and they needed all three to make this film work. They only offered Wesley to Carrie Elwes. They only offered Buttercup to Robin Wright, and they only offered Fezzik uh, to Andre the Giant. Because who else would you give it to? Well, Origi- well, originally they were talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, well, cur- yes, you're correct. It was when they were originally ma- when they were originally making the film, they yes. were considering Arnold Schwarzenegger and, um, for the role. But they were it was only about what's his name. It was only because William Goldman knew they couldn't get his first choice, Andre the Giant. It was it was like they switched when it was 15 years earlier. It was. Andre the Giant was the more famous one, yes. so they're like, we'll go with the less famous one. When it was 15 leads later, it it had switched. Right. And so they're like, okay, we can do it the other way now. And they also talked about, what's, was he the guy from the Bond movie? I don't know. Uh, possibly. Oh, the guy played Jaws? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the only slight correction, Andre the Giant was always the first choice. Yes, but they did talk about- Even though it was offered about, um, for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, it might have been Richard Keel who they talked about at one point too. But I don't think they was a serious contender. It's not like they offered the role. Right. Himself. And I think they were right in that this the role that he is playing, it all has to be tongue in cheek and everything is said with a wink, but it has to be played completely straight. And getting And he has to be so lovable. And getting mm-hmm. all of those things across in your performance is an incredibly difficult thing to do, and yet Carrie Ellis is able to do it. 
I don't think there are many other actors in the world who could have pulled this off and certainly not any actors at that time that could have done it. And he's so charming. Yes. Like so charming. (laughs) (laughs) He's great. Yeah. I love that he's putting on the charm. My favorite parts are when he's putting on the charm in like these really tough situations, like when he's hanging on the cliffs of insanity and he's like, uh, I I know this isn't quite as easy as it looks. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to get back to this. I I like that he is like he he's almost he's like an eyebrows actor where he has complete mm-hmm. control over both eyebrows. Oh, or, or my absolute favorite performance when he can only move his head on that wall yeah. outside <laughs> of the gate. Okay, that whole scene is really funny when he's like, "How long does it take to work?" and just. Hundred percent. Ah, you wiggled your finger. Doesn't that make you happy? Ah, <laughs> uh, this movie. Is so good. Uh, yes. A uh, part of another reason why it is my favorite is it is so immensely quotable, and that goes mm. that goes to William Goldman, who just wrote a fantastic script. Uh, and there are and other a lot of the things that, that come from hear... the book, like not direct quotes, but the the humor, the style, that quick sort of writing. It's the same from the book, and it carries over. He's just very, very clever man. Yeah. Well, and I was just what what Carl said. There's other movies that you will hear quotes from quite often in daily life, but you might hear the same one line from that movie. And this one, there are so many lines like that you can that easy. people will quote well, all the time. Before we started recording, Carl ta- and I talked about the fact that between the three of us, we could probably quote the entire movie Mm -hmm. we could come up with the whole script every other line sounds like it could be the best quote from any other movie like one of like wesley before he leaves turns to buttercup is like this is true love do you think this happens every day Uh, or i will always or hear this now i will always come for you and now just I'm like just go watch it again. <laughs> Every other line in this film is just it's fantastic. Let's let's just stop recording. Well, I'll go watch it again. And now having we'll said back. that, I think it, well, and this will come up later maybe, but this was probably the hardest movie out of everything we've done that I had time coming up with uh things for the games that we do at the end. Right. Just because normally we're making fun of the movie and there was so much not to we... make fun of in this one. So I I think a few of my taglines are basically just stolen quotes from the movie. <laughs> I, I nearly did the same thing. But uh, you're not alone in that, in that the reason this did not do well in theaters is because they couldn't get anybody to watch it because the marketers for the film had no idea how to market it because it's not a genre film. Yeah, uh, It's not quite a fantasy story. It's, it's not, not quite a fairy quite, tale or a children's film. It's not quite film. a parody. Right. Mm-hmm. But and it is a little bit. Because it's kind of everything and in a class of its own, they had no idea how to get people to come see it. Uh, which, uh, Sarah, and you made an interesting comment before we started, but Rob Reiner, when this film was not doing well in theaters, he was complaining uh, because the same thing had happened to The Wizard of Oz years before. And he said to his co-creator, 
gosh, I don't want this thing to become another Wizard of Oz before realizing that, like, no, no that you would you would be really well off if it became the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Chill out, Rob Ryder. And it kind of did. So, so while we are talking about characters, uh, the next logical choice for me is uh, Inigo Montoya uh, because of the sword fight between the man See, and black. See, now you're saying it different. <laughs> I, I know. Inigo is how the kid pronounces it to his grandfather. Inigo Montoya is how he says it when he's doing that line over and over again. So both Fred are Savage correct. Fred Savage is wrong. I would no, say, Fred Savage is wrong. I would say Inigo is my favorite, though. Yes, I would agree with you. Oh. But uh, Well, so I, I guess talk... my favorite out of the main cast, there's one other one that I think I might like better. Mowage. But... Is it him? No, no. Or is it is it <laughs> no. Max? It is Max. <laughs> yeah, Max is fantastic. We are going to get, Max, we are well, getting yeah. we'll get to that later. He's a smart um, Before we talk, I want to talk about this sword fight. The sword fight between the man in black and Inigo the, Montoya. The sword fight that took like six months and they made three times as long. Yes. So, like, day one. And only has one. one stunt part in it. Yeah. Day one, um, Carrie Ellis and um, Mandy Patinkin hadn't picked up a sword. Like, Mandy Patinkin had maybe been practicing for two weeks, but he was practically brand new I mean, at it. His background is in musical theater. Yeah. So. <laughs> For four months leading up to the filming of this scene, they practiced for like eight hours a day with master swordsmen to be able to pull this off. Uh, under the understanding that if they didn't do a good enough job, this whole thing would be done with stuntmen and they would just do like the overlapping dialogue for the film. Ugh. But no, <laughs> they learned how to sword fight and they are performing every sword fight maneuver in this. Now, there are a few acrobatic scenes that were at the last minute that are yeah. one stuntman for both of them. But every other moment, every time they have yeah. a sword in their hand, that is actually them. Yeah, the things with the stuntmans are really just when they do like the flips and stuff. Right, or like the swing off of that very convenient bar. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be there yeah. <laughs> in yeah. the middle of a rock um, pile. No, but and it was supposed to be one minute long, no. and Rob Reiner's like, was it one minute? So, uh, slight correction, it became one minute. Uh, so, it was supposed to always be three minutes, but after months of practicing, they got so good at it that it was a lot quicker, and it condensed down to one minute. Because the thing I read said it was one minute and they made it longer. Correct. So it was one minute when they performed it for Rob, just before they started filming it. And Rob looked at them and said, that's it? Uh, because yeah. they had spent so long building this top of the Cliffs of Insanity that they really wanted to use it. And one minute didn't seem long enough. So last minute, they added... Uh, the stairway that goes up. They added all the flips and the jumps and the acrobatics. That was it. But Mandy Batinkin uh, says this is one of his favorite roles because when they added this, this stairway for the last minute, they were able to re-choreograph everything because they had actually learned the sword fight basics so they could actually just sword fight up this stairwell. I love Mandy Patinkin. Yeah. It's like, and the fact that they both learned to sword fight with both hands, it's just, it's incredible. And it, it's, I love that this sword fight starts off so slow with like the two people testing each other to see what their moves are. And when it finishes off, it's like Carrie Elwes is flipping from one hand to another. They're fighting beneath their feet at one point. They're flipping back and forth. 
Like, these are complicated things to do in a sword fight. So what I like is, not the sword fight, but is right before the sword fight, is the story oh, about the father. Yes. <laughs> and Mandy Patinkin delivers this speech great. Like, it is, it is sad to listen to him telling the story about how his father died. And you really want him to get his revenge by the end because it's just, he is really sad about it. And he's been working so hard to find this man. And you're like, and that's where I would disagree. Well, I don't know about disagreeing with Carl necessarily, but when you said you don't really get to know the characters and have and feel for them, this is the part where you really get to know his story. And I think even before he tells the story, when, when, Dread Pirate Roberts at this point is hanging off of a cliff. We don't know and, that yet. Yeah, He's well, just the man in black. Uh, that's true. Well, anyway, <laughs> but he's on the cliff, right? And and you get, I mean, not only the 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 sense, the story of his father and that whole thing, but he is respectful and honorable, even in that he will help this guy up the cliff before he kills him. And then give him time even to recover from hanging off the cliff before they even start their fight in the first place, which is a contrast to the Count and the Prince that you mm. see later when they fight and he he just runs away and then at the last second throws a knife at him uh, without yeah. without even actually having a fight. So Yeah. Uh, so, uh, to clarify what I meant, we don't get much of Buttercup or Wesley's story before Wesley dies and Buttercup is now betrothed and captured. So, that's that's where you, like, we don't know much about their characters before their story begins. And it just goes. We do get tidbits of, well, and Inigo is probably the most developed character because we understand yeah. his past, we understand his wants. We don't have the same for Vicini or Fezzik or Rugen or Pumperdink, for that matter. Like, Inigo is probably my favorite character because we get yeah. his full story. And I feel like, the, I mean, it's supposed to be about this love story between Buttercup and Wesley. But I feel like, really, the story is more about him and his revenge, <laughs> which is why it's why he's more of the favorite for me. The other two are just kind of there. I, I think part of the reason why it is that way is it's supposed to be this play off this melodrama where you're having all of these different archetypes. Mm-hmm. And, and they're kind of shallow because you need them to be these straight... I mean, in a melodrama, everyone is is simplified and this is good this is evil this is right this is wrong there's no very conflicting characters they're they're kind of pure um character tropes and i think it's it's trying to play off that that um it does that a lot in the book the characters are are a lot more um stereotypes like buttercup is is portrayed as being very pretty and very very dumb <laughs> Like, she's not bad. She's just, like, the dumbest character. And and it's supposed to be played as a joke because they're supposed to be these stereotypical, like, epic um, romance um, fantasy novel characters. Mm-hmm. And and so they're supposed to fill these tropes that are meant for them. And so it's, it's taken away a little bit in the thing because you don't want that character to just be the dumbest character when portrayed in film. Um but I, I think that's part of why 
we don't have these backstories. They're just supposed to be right. these archetypes. They're, in they're a characters book. that we know already because we're familiar yes. with fantasy stories. Because he's reading a child, but it's yeah. basically a children's book too. Like he's reading like Narnia to his grandson. Yeah, uh, and getting back to your point about Inigo story, part of the reason it works so well for it, me, Indigo, Inigo, <laughs> Anigo. Yeah, it's both are correct. No, Fred Savage is wrong. <laughs> yes, but he does say it. And his grandpa doesn't correct him because correcting a person on a name would be a jerk move. And the grandpa doesn't <laughs> want to do that. Peter anyway. should have slapped that kid. <laughs> Have you met Sarah? Yeah. Uh, so uh, anyway, Inigo Montoya's story. Thank you. Um, Part of what works so well for me is Mandy Patinka's performance speaking in this broken English. Uh, and just like the little things, little lilts he gives to the speech uh, really contribute to the delivery for me. And it's that delivery that sells this story. Um, another story that I really like that Manny Patinkin has talked about is the fact that his father, at some point before he made this movie, died of cancer, and he talked about that in preparing for his role, he kind of made it a personal thing, where in in finding this revenge and finding the killer of his father, he made it this, um, the Count was kind of this personified version of the cancer that killed his father, and so that he could put that emotion and kind of be the the um the revenge for his real father in in this staged killing of the person who killed his father and so i think i think it comes across in the thing that you can really feel no this is a personal thing for him and i think it really works for the character you really feel like he is emotionally upset by what has happened in this yeah i mean certainly in the scene where it's him getting the revenge on rugen and him repeating you know i'm an Matoya who killed my father prepare to die over and over and more angry and angry and and the uh the when he's telling him to basically to to beg offer me yes. anything i want my father back you son of a bitch <laughs> Uh, and that is, that is such an iconic scene. Yeah. Like that Though, whole thing. Even before that, him. where he's uh, looking for the, the, the man in black uh, and praying to his father with his yeah. sword. Like that is so touching and moving. Because <sighs> like he's actually thinking about his real dad in that oh, moment. It's very... So like, uh, uh, Inigo is just... He's one of the characters that, like, may be a perfect movie character for me. Oh, so good. But he's also really funny in that the scene The writing, drunk. the performance, the, the actor portraying, it's just, it's so good. Uh, but we, I could go on for days for Inigo, but let's keep moving and go to Fethic. But, but I do really like him in the scene with Max when he's oh, like, yes. his... <laughs> Uh, his his wife is sick. His kids are at <laughs> yeah, home. <laughs> his kids are near starving. Boy, are you a rotten liar! Liar! <laughs> I need him to help me truth. get revenge on my father. <laughs> Murdered these twenty years. Your first story was better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Okay, next character. Fezzik. Let's talk about Fezzik. The lovable, simple oaf. Um, He's the gentle giant. He is such a gentle giant. 
And part of like and, and a master with rhymes. Yes. Rewatching this, like the relationship between Inigo, uh, Inigo, whatever, uh, and Fezzik <laughs> is that a uh, like the the best friendship, right? Yeah, Inigo yes. is treating him like he's a little brother. Like Fezzik is a simpleton and needs to be taken care of because despite his big strength, he's not very bright. Uh, and it just came across like in the rhymes, he's just trying to make Fezzik feel better because he got just got yelled at by Vecini. And uh, before Inigo is going to fight the men in black, Fezzik kind of walks up to him ambling is like, you got to be careful. People in masks cannot be trusted. I just I love them. And I want for after the thing, um, Inigo becomes his Dread Pirate yeah. Roberts. And Fezzik becomes his first mate, yeah. and they're all happy together. The boat Except- would sink. It could not support the weight. <laughs> but I will not tell you about the book where there is a fake first chapter of a sequel where Fezzik dies. So, I'm, no. I'm wondering what happened to Dread Pirate Robert's crew, because when he tells the story, he says that he hired a crew for his ship. Well, he had that little dinghy when he was chasing them. Right. <laughs> where is my, that? My thought is that they're off the coast somewhere. They're waiting for Roberts to come back and lead them again. They're just sitting there. I mean, they're 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 probably in like some uh, pirates' cove, Tortuga like thing. Yeah, they're getting pirates. They're getting leave where they can go to land and find. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. (laughs) But it's funny you talk about a sequel because for years William Goldman has talked about creating a sequel to this film called Buttercup's Baby. But he, yeah, that was the fake sequel. Yeah, so he just he has never been able to like put it to words and get it written because it, the story won't come to him and he won't cheapen the experience by just giving it to somebody yeah. else. There's a fake. There's like a half a chapter like they do like the preview chapters in the book for for Buttercup's baby, and it's Fezzik dies. Oh, it's terrible, and you laugh. Yeah. I I Good doubt job. I doubt if he actually made Buttercup's baby. That would be the first right. chapter because it's just like a fake well, preview chapter. They might like, have to, given that Andre the Giant has passed. Yeah, true. if they ever made this. Um, what he should do for a movie of is the Silent Gondoliers because I also think the Silent Gondoliers is funny. <laughs> All right, um, uh, but let's going back to Andre the Giant and Fezzik. I have a few tidbits from that book uh, regarding this. Where is it? How much he loved it because he didn't feel out of place and no one feel made him feel like he was weird Aww. and super super large. So he said it was one of his favorite projects I, to work on. You know, I I don't think he was alive when they were getting quotes for this. Yeah. And so he does not appear in the book uh, telling any of his but own th- personal stories. But everybody talks about him and meeting him. The way that when he stepped into a room, every eye in the room was on him. Because he was like seven feet tall, 540 pounds, and he had a presence you could not ignore. Apparently he called everyone boss. Yes. Uh, <laughs> they talk about that. They, he called them boss to put them at ease and make them think that they yeah. were in charge. Uh, and one of my favorite stories from the book is after the initial cast reading, the first time everyone sat down and went through this script, the night after, uh, Andre the Giant was at the bar, and Andre the Giant could drink 
Like, yeah, you could drink like a barrel. enormous amounts of liquor. I think he holds the world record for the most drunk in a single sitting. And I believe he did that so that his body could get numbed so he could get surgery. Uh, because no <laughs> other anesthetic would work. It's like uh, barrels worth. But so he's he's at the hotel after the cast reading uh, and they open up this this private stock because he's a famous person. He's got a lot of money after his wrestling career and he buys this very, very potent drink from them and downs like a couple of bottles of it. Uh, and so when he gets up to leave, he gets off his stool. He walks two steps and falls flat on his face and he is out cold. He weighs 540 pounds. They can't move him. He spends the night there because the hotel doesn't want to call the cops for the publicity. And none of the hotel staff can pick him up and get him out. And so to make it seem okay to the rest of their patrons that this very large man is just lying on the ground here and they can't <laughs> disturb him. They just put a velvet rope around him and he spends <laughs> the night there. The next morning he gets up and continues the journey. He had set out to do initially gets into a car and goes home. I, uh, it, you know, I was thinking you were saying, um, He's kind of the gentle giant. He's yeah. almost the little brother type that that doesn't really. He's big, but doesn't really know much. It kind of reminds me of the. Uh, I don't remember his name, but from the Green Mile. Oh, um, is this uh, Michael Clark Duncan? Yes, because he's a big guy too. I don't know if he's not that big, but I he's mean he's a big. bigger he's guy, big. and and he's all in that in that role he's like the gentle giant but everybody's scared of him he has a mouse yeah so i feel the same way about fezzik uh is he's so simple and vicini tries to corrupt him and he just can't be turned <laughs> what's my way <laughs> <laughs> my way is not very sportsmanlike <laughs> Oh, you mean you'll put down your rock and I'll put down my sword and we'll try to kill each other like civilized people? <laughs> so good. I know. Uh though in in the Men in Black's Men in Black, um <laughs> the Man in Black's trials, um, I feel like the sword fight is phenomenal. They worked on months for that. I don't feel the same way about Fezzik's fight. I agree. Um, because you you get the the one rock thrown and then the explosion. And then it's just kind of boring of the two wrestling each other. Now, granted, Fezzik can't hit the man because he's so large. It just would seem like he would be knocked out in, entirely. And I wonder if part of the reason why they didn't do a whole lot of more cool stuff is the fact that at the time, Andre the Giant couldn't have any weight on him. He had a very bad back. That's true. And so I wonder if that affected what they could and couldn't do with that fight scene yeah uh so again for that book uh you're you're right about the bad back it was due to his years in wrestling and every wrestler he came across thought that he was a large enough man that he could take the beating that they would deliver so they did not hold back at all yeah. uh the, the parts that were supposed to be fake in wrestling weren't that fake because yeah. they thought he could take it it's more supposed to be like choreographed sort of like more like dancing yeah. or like 
sort of like like martial arts fights and movies. Mm -hmm. It's still hard. It's not yeah. supposed to physically beat you up that much. Yeah. So of the three trials, I would probably say this one is the most disappointing. Yeah. It's the one where like they just get into it. He chokes them out. He dreams of large women. They get out of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I assume though, knowing what I know of Carl, that his favorite, well, he said his favorite is the sword fight, but oh, I would have sure. thought that it the would be with Vizzini. Let's let's Is it get he talks a lot? let's get into Vicini. Uh Why do you oh, think it's well, my favorite? Sean. Because oh. you're Mr. Puzzle Guy. I and am Mr. You Puzzle. Love, you love the brain so, games. So. so I have a couple of comments on this where Vicini isn't actually that smart. No, he's I, not. So he like he is. Uh, he is a bit of a blowhard in this scene. You know, he talks a mile a minute, and oddly enough, even though. Uh, he doesn't get it right. He has figured correctly because he goes on about the reasons he can't choose the wine in front of the man in black. He can't choose the wine in front of him, which are both correct choices because he shouldn't choose any of the wine. I, I, I do really like Wallace Shawn. And yes. And apparently he wasn't Hated sure it. he was the right choice it's, and was so nervous the whole time. The this reason was, was the first the first he movie the, I had ever seen him in. He thought he was the in. second choice. Oh, he was the well. he was and the third. Was His he the third? agent I knew his... told him that the first choice was Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. <laughs> and I don't know the second. I don't think it's a known name. But yeah, his agent told him you're their third choice. Who does that? It's That's how you. Do awful. Also, this scene in the movie where he is talking and doing the battle of wits, doing most carrying the scene. Apparently, he was stressing, like physically, like yeah. sweating and freaking This out. was his first day on set. Oh. He arrived, got in costume, and did this scene. And it's a great scene. I cannot imagine Danny DeVito doing no, this. No, I cannot. Though Wallace Shawn is great. Wallace Shawn has said that this is, uh, this performance, I think, is 30% him, 30% Rob Reiner, and 40% his idea of Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's great. He's so funny. And I, I also really like him in Clueless because yeah. he's really funny in Apparently, that. Apparently, after, uh, for every line in the scene, he like, he went to Rob. He's like, okay. How do you want to, me to do it? Perform it for me. And then he copied Rob's performance. The very end part where like he freeze frames and just goes off this, the, the scene, that was specifically Rob because uh, he would have never thought to do that on his own. Uh, but it, it's, it's such a funny scene and it's so ridiculous, the whole thing. Yeah. And the fact that the the other two people managed to keep a straight face during the whole thing <laughs> yeah. is kind of amazing. Because they always talk about the Max scene later of not being able to keep straight. I'm surprised by this one as well, that I would have just been like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, I do love his, his reasoning going back and forth and basically arguing himself in circles while the man in black is just kind of sitting there saying one line. Back and yeah. forth. And for, again, for such a small, I mean, he does the, he is the leader of this group, kind of, and, and they're only there for maybe the first five, ten minutes of the film. It's not a very big part, but he was one of the ones that I remembered the most after seeing oh, yeah. this the because first Because of his iconic lines. Yes. 
inconceivable. Well, and the um, oh, the stuff at the end with, oh, with the, the rules, the classic of, blunders, the classic blunders. Yeah, uh, never start a land war in Asia, uh, yes. and only slightly w- less well known. Never go in a never go in against a Sicilian, Sicilian when death when is, death on, is the on the line. <laughs> 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 Yes. Nobody can see you doing that. I know, by the way. but we they did, know. We did the they freeze know frame it's and then went out of frame. Everyone knows this. <laughs> they know it's happening. Yes. Uh, so I guess my favorite part of this scene is the reveal because it's it's still so good. Where he's like, "You chose wrong," because of course you did. Both glasses were poisoned. I spent the last few years getting immunity to the iocane powder. So, like, I don't know. As far as action goes, the sword fight is the best. And it's not really a battle of wits because the man in black is not competing. Vicini is competing against himself and he loses. Vicini's logic is how I play Love Letter. (laughs) So clearly, you cannot be the princess. (laughs) And that's why that last round took 10 minutes. All right. Well, as we are getting through characters, I think naturally, uh, well, I don't know. We could take a break and talk about the fire swamp, uh, but because that is what comes next here. But if we wanted to get keep going with characters, the next that have the two major big parts are either Humperdinck or Rugen. Humperdinck, uh, Humperdinck, Humperdinck. You're a witch. <laughs> I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. Ah. I'm not sure if I want to be that anymore. Because <laughs> uh, they show up here next to take. Ah, Wesley to the pit of despair. I love the pit of despair. Uh, with the the albino and Christopher Guest just giving a deadpan performance oh, so that he can so record the, the the scientific data of torture. He's he's now, he's like this. Keep this in mind, this is for like a, posterity. So he's please like be a as government honest. bureaucrat yes. in a run fair outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because nowadays it's like oh christopher guest you think of him as that director it's not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind you think is of him as being an actor mm-hmm. and then i'm like oh no he's really really funny too yeah so it's uh, i would say it's for his uh later films where he was directing or spinal tap which yeah, is another rob reiner that. picture but i this is one of his best performances i think ridiculous both him and, and and christopher sarandon as the villains yeah are so funny and so ridiculous because um humperdinck is such this like this almost fop character mm-hmm. he just flounces around in these like <laughs> these big poofy outfits and is like vain and and yet he's still like i want he's he, He's wanting to kill people, but he's also just like, oh, I'm so self-centered and I have this big fluffy outfit. (laughs) I think my best, the best scene for those two are the ones where they're having a discussion in the forest as to whether Prince Humperdinck wants to come see Rugen torture the man in black. And it's just, the lines here are so great because it's um, Humperdinck like, Tyrone, you know how much I love watching your work, but I've got um, 
something or something, a wife to murder and Gilder to blame <laughs> for it. I'm bad. swamped. Get some rest. If you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Anything. I, I just like. I actually liked. Well, at least for Humperdink, the scene later on. Um, he's trying to get the brute squad sent out so that they will be busy on the day of the wedding. Right. <clears throat> and when he brings the guy in, like there, he makes him. He's like just points and makes him come over and sit down next to him. And then he gets. He puts his arm on the armrest uh, and he looks at him. And then he moves yes. his arm and. It's it's great, like, non-speaking humor. And then when the princess walks in, they both stand up really quickly. And as soon as she walks away, they both go right back to the same positions yeah. they were already in. So, again, this is how the film wins me over. Because at the beginning of the film, it seems like Humperdinck is just going to be your traditional prince villain, like Prince John and Robin Hood. But towards the end, we get into, like... He actually has funny lines and he has these physical humor things and he's trying to control things that are outside of his ability. And like that, the character just develops so wonderfully as the film goes on. At, at the very end, when he finally gives up and he forces it down, he like floofs up his whole little like yeah. skirt thing. He's just like, I'm sitting and just and it's. It's such this, like, ridiculously dramatic, like, sitting moment. Because he's still, he's just a little bratty fop. Yeah. I love him. I love him in the wedding scene where he's just like, get on with it. Man and wife, man and wife. Say man and wife. Man and wife. Man and wife. You know, I could, uh, and and some of our listeners will have no idea, but I could totally see Lonnie doing that part <laughs> if he was <laughs> Yes, I, I would agree with that. Uh, so, like, Chris Sarandon as Humperdinck is just, he's a pleasure. He's one of the highlights on this watch for me, because, uh, you know, when I was initially watching it, it was all about the heroes of the film, but the villains are just as good. They're not oh. like, They're not playing pure evil villains, but they are... They bring a lot of humanity to the role where they're both very powerful cowards when it comes down to it. I I like but talking about funny things. The albino when he's trying to do the voice and he just gives up. Yes. And he's like, this, is the pit of <coughs> this is the pit of despair. And you can't tell at all that that actor was completely miserable that whole time. Was he? Apparently he was allergic to the contact oh, solution. No. And was like dying the whole time. And he won't even watch the movie because he just has like these flashbacks of pain. So. Because it was just so bad. Oh, we skipped over it. But talking about pain brought me back to it. So uh, before we move on, the Albano's name is Mel Smith. And he does a, does a fantastic job in the film. Oh, he's so funny. The other injuries I wanted to bring up is that Carrie Elwes got injured Broke twice. His toe. Mm, that is the first one. Yes. Uh, so. The evidence that you can see All in right. the film of this is that uh, it's when he has Buttercup alone after the Battle of Wits, uh, and he's kind of berating her like, uh, did you wait a week or a month before moving on to your next boyfriend? Um, there's a, a part of it where the uh, the man in black, Dread Pirate Roberts, sits down, and he does it by keeping one leg completely straight and just bending the other as he twists. 
And like the director said, wow, that's a really elegant way to sit down. But he's just trying to keep weight off of the toe that he of the leg he has extended because it's completely broken at this point. Uh, he also just like hops a little in the forest because yes. he wasn't putting weight. And was it like he got knocked out or so, something? So yes. So it, it's the scene right after this. So Count uh, Rugen and Humperdinck have caught up yeah, with that's Wesley and Buttercup after the fire swamp. So they were uh, the the sword that Count Rugen is using has an actual hilt to it. It's real metal, and because of the way that they were filming this, they couldn't get um, the perspective. Uh, because the way that it is shot, like, it has to come down really close to Wesley's head. You can't do it five feet away and make it look correct. So they were doing this, and Christopher Guest was stopping just before his head, as he should. But the cameraman's like, uh, we can we can see the gap. We The audience isn't going to buy this. And so Carrie Ellis was like, well, you know what? Just one time really go for it. Give me, give me good contact. And Christopher Guest slipped, did way too much contact and actually knocked him out. The scene you see in the movie is Carrie Ellis getting knocked out. I think there's, there's so many movies where there is someone injured on set where that is what happens, where the one guy goes, yeah, just go for yeah. it. And it ends with someone getting knocked out. And I think the moral is, do not ever say that on a set. No, you will get knocked no, out. No, it's not great. Yeah, where it's like, yeah, we're doing a fight scene. Yeah, just really n- hit me in the face. Someone's nose gets broken. That There's so many stories like that. Just don't do it. Oh, uh, and the story as to how Carrie Elwes broke his toe. It was, he was on the, the whatever um thing that um, ATV oh. that Andre the Giant needed to get around. Yes, because Andre the Giant couldn't fit in cars. They gave him an ATV to get around places. And he just <laughs> he just kept egging Carrie Elwes to try it. And Carrie Elwes knew he was the star of the film and should not be doing this, but Andre the Giant wore him down. And the first time he was on it, he broke his toe. Yeah. Uh, so other changes. Not to be trusted. Uh, so other changes I learned um, while we're near here in the fire swamp. Uh, the was it the quick sand, uh, the electric sand. I forget what they call it exactly. Um, so initially, what Wesley was supposed to do was he was supposed to grab the vine and then hold his nose and jump in feet first into the sand because that's how the effect is set up to work. Like, that's how it was going to be safe. Uh, But they decided, uh, actually, no, Carrie Elwes recommended, well, why don't I just dive in there? And, (laughs) like, the stuntman tried it, nailed it first time. Uh, Carrie Elwes tried it, and... Thank God nothing went wrong. Like, it's some, it's a small change they made, but it was a huge risk they take because they didn't know what was going to happen if he went in face first because there's just a human being down there that catches you. Um, I like in that scene, they lost their actor for one of the rats because he got arrested. Yes, he got... Oh, the conversation. Oh, uh, so... This guy told the story of getting arrested. Uh, And so he put a few on at the bar the night before. He was driving home, and he got pulled over by the police. And um, 
he was trying to convince the policemen, like, no, no, I need to go to work tomorrow. We got a big scene. I'm an actor. Can you please just have me pay a fine? Let me go home. And the the the, the policeman asked him, oh, what part are you playing? He's like, I, oh, I'm playing a rat. And he's like, no, get in the car. We're going to the jail. <laughs> a giant rat. <laughs> Uh, so speaking of the rats, that's maybe one of the effects that doesn't hold up anymore. Yeah, I was uh, it's very clearly a little person in a rat costume, and occasionally Carrie Elwes playing <laughs> with a giant rubber doll of a rat. And sometimes the rats make Rob Reiner noises. Well, and not only the rats, but but the eels, I didn't think looked that great either. I don't know. I think since they're underwater, maybe the one that comes up doesn't look yeah. great. But you don't see it very long. Um, and if they're well, under the water, it's like. really maybe just... Maybe they look like bad puppets. It's really just the effect that they're making in the water that I think still works. Whereas like that the rats, fine, but you're the just seeing this is... costume. Maybe yeah. fantasy rats just have a hard life. They've done a lot of drugs. Uh, maybe. Well, it's tough to live in a fire swamp. You have a lot to compete yeah. with. Maybe they've caught on fire just a lot of times. Speaking of and which, that's what they look like now. That popping noise you hear before the fire comes up—that's a real thing that they needed on set for the safety <laughs> of the actors. It is a popping noise that tells them this one's about to go off. Don't stand next to it. I mean, it's clever that they worked it into the script so that they could be like, oh, no, that random popping noise isn't just bad background sound. Right. It's actually doing something. Yeah. And uh, on this rewatch, I didn't remember that Wesley sees the rodents of unusual sizes before oh, yeah. getting attacked He looks by over them. his yeah. shoulder. And, and he just... sees two of them. And then that... Because uh, I He's thought like, it went no, that I he don't says... they exist. Yeah, I don't think they exist. And then he just gets tackled by one. I thought that's just how that happened, but no, he was expecting no. it to some extent. Yes, because he's trying to make things look better so Buttercup doesn't freak out. Yeah, all right, so we've gotten through all of our heroes, our two villains. Let's talk about uh, the the cameos, the side characters. We've talked about the albino already. Let's talk about Max and Valerie. <gasps> Yay! The best! Yes. So played <laughs> by Carol Kane and... Billy Crystal, who I would never have known before when I saw it, but just you can't tell Carol Kane just by her voice. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have no idea who she is, but <gasps> I could tell Billy Crystal by his voice yes. because if you because sit if there Mike and watch that asking. and close your eyes, Mike it's Wazowski. like you're listening to Monsters Inc. Yeah, so <laughs> Mike Wazowski. <laughs> That's so my attempt at I, a little yeah, I, I had never, I mean, I wouldn't have known who he was when I was a kid no. anyway, but just now I, the fact that I know who he is and you just hear his voice, it's like, yep. Have you ever seen Scrooged? Yes. Carol Kane is the ghost of Christmas past right. in the fairy outfit that hits him with the wand. Okay, you should also be watching the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt because it's yes, amazing. She is and She's Carol also plays, really funny. Carol Kane plays a an eccentric New York uh, landlady. It was just She's fantastic. So Whose house used to be a boat? I think. I think that's a running gag. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, anyway, that's what, back the to thing the, I the reason of this episode, right? Uh, <laughs> so, like, good, the makeup a, a in here doesn't MLT. quite hold up. It looks mm -hmm. a little staged. Like, yeah. To saying that though, every you say that, but apparently it was a picture of his grandmother. So maybe that just looks like his grandmother. It's possible. 
Uh, she lived so, rough. So saying that, I don't want to give the impression that it detracts from the film at all. No. Part of the wonder about this is because in the story of this film, uh, this part is a part of a fantasy novel. Like, being set in a fantasy realm, not everything has to be picture perfect. We kind of just get the idea of we know who this character is, even though they don't quite look correct. And, like, uh, it still works. There's still so much charm to it. And the charm is able to bring it across, and it makes it work, even though it may not be the best what we could do today. Mandy Patinkin talked about that this scene was the only scene that injured him because... He had to hold back laughter so much that he injured himself. Yeah, I think he <laughs> fractured and, a rib. Yeah, and that Rob Reiner had to keep leaving the set while this was happening and, because he could not stop laughing. And at points, uh, they needed to film the long shots with Carrie Elwes replaced. Uh, they put in the <laughs> dummy that Fezzik was carrying around because you, he could not keep a straight face. You can kind of tell in one scene mm. Mandy, when Mandy Patinkin says it's a noble cause, yes. his face is all kind of <laughs> scrunched up like he is holding back a lot of emotions. He's like, it's a noble it's a cause. Noble cause, sir. cause. And it's, uh, but it's, it's the funniest scene. Yeah, so Billy Crystal did some ad-libbing here. Uh, the line he says when they open the door, something about, um, why, yes, uh, would you also like to give me a paper cut and put some lemon juice in it? Um, my favorite line in this is definitely the, I'm not a witch, I'm your wife. <laughs> yes. Um, company, either that or the, company, company, or, company, company, company. Either that or the have fun storm in oh, the castle. Oh, yes. Bye kids, have fun storm in the castle. You think it'll work? Take a miracle. <laughs> Bye. 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 Have fun. Oh, God. Yo, the nice uh, MLT. Yes, the MLT. Yes, they also ad-libbed together. Um, so the line was something about, now it takes 15 minutes for full potency. The uh, the line they ad-libbed was, oh, and, you, and you don't want to go swimming for at least what? Oh, an hour. Yeah, a good <laughs> hour. <laughs> They're just, we need those two back together in a movie. Just. Just Carol Kane and Billy Crystal, just set them free. I will watch it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So huh, all of these little scenes, the like them running into the albino where he's carrying the wheelbarrow to get into the pit of despair. This scene with Miracle Max, uh, the scene coming up with uh, the wedding uh, and the, the, oh, the, the priest with the, the speech impediment. Like, they're just, they're little vignettes that fit perfectly into this world, but are like oh. a completely different side story, but they're all so hilarious and great. I, I like the king oh. when it's like, oh, oh she oh. kissed me. He's so <laughs> adorable. Oh, and, I, oh, and when we get there, like, I'm going to kill myself. No. Oh, isn't that oh, nice? That nice. <laughs> she kissed me. She kissed me. <laughs> It makes you wonder, how did they have such a terrible son? He's so oh, sweet. God. And even um, the the scene that's a, a false beginning where it's uh, Buttercup having a dream oh, and she the becomes dream. the queen. The hag in that is great. Just boom. Well, that was queen one of, of my favorites. Queen of muck. Then, then they interrupt the story again and go yes. back to the... And, and, 
the grandson is saying something. Well, she can't end up with him. And then a few minutes later, when when Buttercup wakes up, he says, "Oh, see, I told you that that would." And I, and the grandpa just touches. says, "Yes, you're very smart. Shut up." And then he keeps reading. <laughs> That's so you, good. You can, you can see the boy getting more and more involved. Yes, yes. And and he starts out being like, "I'm, I'm, I'm," where he's not interested, but then he's. He's interested, but trying to play it off like, oh, yeah. oh no, I don't care. I, I, don't I was care. maybe concerned, but that's not the same thing. Uh, but so I wanted to talk about this. Speaking of that, so his first interruption happens when uh, Buttercup and Wesley are still peasants at the very beginning. And they, they fall in love and he stops and is like, Grandpa, is this a kissing book? Uh, kissing it cuts book? back to the grandpa. This is page one he gave up within the first couple of paragraphs of this story but uh yeah and then his interruption for the um when buttercup is in with the eels they stop with the eel coming up and the grandma's like she does not die at this time i'm telling you because you looked worried (laughs) but it's such a good like transition of seeing him get more and more interested and until the end where he's like can we read it again right. tomorrow oh it's so good and then the grandfather no! uh so we're, we're slowly getting through this let's my oh god i want to say my favorite scene is them on the wall wesley barely oh, being so able funny. to move uh and them trying to plan the assault of a castle with their mastermind almost just being a mind at this point. Oh, he's like, so I wish we had a wheelbarrow. What did we do with the albino's wheelbarrow? Why didn't you list that among our assets? Among our assets. Uh, but this is it in this scene and in the, the fight scene before. I did want to bring up that Fezzik's lines not always audible. Uh, because he is not a native English speaker. He is French. Uh, and the way that they had to do a lot of his lines, because he was unsure whether or not he could perform them, is that Rob Reiner recorded everything. And then he listened to the audio over and over just so he could uh, repeat the sounds he was hearing as as opposed to understanding the words he was saying. Uh, and so in some of that, some of his lines get lost, uh, in particularly uh, in this next scene coming up mm-hmm. where he says, I am the Drupala Lama. <laughs> like that whole speech, you, you don't really get all of it. Which is fine. He's supposed to be a scary entity. Right, right. Like he's doing a great job. I just wish like all of the lines could be be delivered in their best way and i don't know if they necessarily are uh but they are storming the castle let's move on to that i love even though like you can't hear it i do love fezzik in the wheelbarrow being wheeled up using the dread pirate's name to scare off all of the guards i like the part earlier when he pulls out the um cloak and he's like it fits so nicely he let me keep it <laughs> why did he even have this cloak um well and i right after that after all the guards leave you've got the one guy left the gatekeeper guy oh and, i don't have the key and, oh you oh, mean this key? I, there's no key Fezzik, i don't have the key. Have key oh you mean this key this key <laughs> uh so let's let's move on to the final act and get this thing Guys, over with i have to tell you real quick According to IMDb, 
the the priest at the wedding is listed as the impressive clergyman. The impressive clergyman? <laughs> yes, and the person from the dream is the ancient booer. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer the old hag, but whatever. Um, yep. Oh, God. Yeah, I guess before they storm the castle. Let's let's mm. talk about this marriage scene. I think this Mama. might be the funniest scene in the movie, even though the person doing all the acting has no buildup whatsoever. He's just the best character actor stealing the limelight in this one, like, three-minute scene. Mawaj is what brings us together, together today. today. Well, and there's, like, well, it's playing the music, well. and the camera zooms in on his face. Like, it's this big this big thing that's happening, yes, and then it's it's, so everything serious. gets really quiet and waits for him to speak, and then that's the words that come out of his mouth. Mawaj. Like, I I cannot get through this scene without dying in laughter. It slaughters me every time. Because everything else is so serious yeah. that's going on. Everything has to be get done quick. They're trying to interrupt their wedding. They're trying to find the six-fingered man. They're trying to get all this done. And he's just so slow and <laughs> so ridiculous. And it's just so, like, almost this, like, juddered stop to everything that's going around that you're just like okay yeah you're kind of right this is kind of like the equivalent of our heroes in an elevator where like there's a firefight going on like this is that moment just done differently <laughs> it's great yeah it's oh i love this film guys have i mentioned it's we my have, favorite movie <laughs> we haven't said the only thing we've said bad is has been aging special effects and even mm -hmm. that we're like so it's not that bad. i have one other critique uh which if you watch it enough it doesn't matter uh it's that the lines that i remember they are because there's so many of them they're not all given the the screen presence that i think that they deserve they kind of just really hurry through some lines uh, some lines that have been some lines that have been quotables that have been iconic for the film in the film they're just kind of rushed through they're giving no breathing room because they got to get through the story as quick as possible so that's really my only critique is that especially in the beginning this thing moves quick it just goes and I would love just a little bit more breathing room but anybody want a peanut yeah that I, I think that line gets eaten up a little bit, or some of his old, oh, his other one rhymes. I used to quote to people all the time because that was the only like I just remember that from the beginning when they were all Stop rhyming. Rhyming, I mean it. <laughs> Got to start with the first part. Fezzik, uh, Fezzik, are there rocks ahead? If there are, we'll all be dead. All right, so storming the castle with Fezzik carrying the men in black. Uh, the men in black. The men in black. The man in black. Uh, and oh, the scene where Inigo finds the six-figured man. Don't. Sorry. No, both are correct. No. Okay. I, it, but he like props Wesley on the suit of armor. No, no, even before that. No. Before where, oh, before that. that. The Count Rugen right, comes in with four men. Right, because it's after he runs that they. And Inigo dispatches all of them just flawlessly. 
and like this choreograph is great because like there's there's a person who he avoids and he runs behind him and then he goes around and he stabs them in the back. Then he just he just dispatches all of them in unique ways in like ten seconds. Like some anime nonsense. Yes. And then Count Rugen poses and runs away. <laughs> uh, initially, um, Christopher Guest wanted to put like a little fart noise here as he was running away. And Rob Reiner wisely said that, no, we're not going to do this. I, I, and this is not that scene particularly, but as the chase starts... He runs around and locks the door, and you can hear the desperation in oh, in his voice. Like he, Fasak, he's getting away from me. Fasak, I'm losing him. Fasak, yeah, yes. As he's running into the door. Yes, and Fasak just like boom, one fist, <laughs> the door falls open. Uh, but let's move along to the the showdown. The thing that Inigo has been waiting 20 years to do between him and Count Rugen. And Count Rugen pulls the dirtbag jackass maneuver of throwing a knife at Inigo before he even gets into the room. <laughs> so it's like Nidhogg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Throws the knife. So what in your mind, uh, I guess they don't explain it in the film, what brings Inigo back? Because after he gets stabbed, it looks like he's down for the count pure spite <laughs> yeah i think he still that's just what motivates needs me his most vengeance of the time. and he's because at one point yeah he he says sorry father i have failed you or something mm-hmm. to that effect and i think he's just still thinking of his dad and he's just i need to finish this thing no matter what Righteous happens to me fury. <laughs> all right uh the way i explained it is that before we see the man in black man in black wesley <laughs> wesley can't die because he's got true love on the line. And so he's only mostly dead. I feel like the same thing is happening here. That Inigo has unfinished business. And the spirit of his father allows him to come back and fight again. But I love in this fight scene where Inigo is just repeating the same line over and over. Because this is the one line he's wanted to deliver for the past 20 years. Uh, Count Rugen dies from all of the injuries that um, Inigo sustains. Like, at the end of the fight, they have the same wounds. It's just that Inigo is able to survive them and Count Rugen isn't. And, and the, the way that, a lot more violent. The way that he does it, it, you said he just keeps repeating the same line over and over. Yeah. And it's, I mean, yes, he's been waiting to say this forever. He's taking his vengeance now. He wants this guy to hear this line. Right. And that's, he's been waiting for so long to say this to him. But you can, you know, he says it kind of weakly at one point mm-hmm. because he's still trying to recover. And then he keeps getting more and more angry or more, more revived or whatever. But I think, again, part of that, just the vengeance coming back to him is keep pushing him to keep going. And it's- it's giving him that energy to fight through this till the end. It's the idea of a, a mantra. It's like you keep saying uh, it until you believe it. Right, right. Oh, and then the, the um, final bargain. Uh, promise me money. As much as I have and more. Promise me power too. Anything you want. What my father <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's it's 
Worse in the book, he gets his heart ripped out. Fuck. The count, because it, it's this idea of this is what you emotionally yeah, did to me, yeah. so this is what I'm doing to you. Oh, man. Yeah, that would be brutal and hard to convey. Yeah. But Yes, and, and fit within. I mean, yeah, they did I mean, it in Indiana Jones. This but... partially became popular because of its appeal to children and people of all ages. Yeah. 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 All right, so... We have moved to the final scene-ish of the film uh, where Wesley is lying on a bed. Uh, Buttercup comes in. He persuades her not to commit suicide because of the shortage of perfect breasts in the world. Um, And Humperdinck comes in. And this is perhaps my favorite monologue, kind of, even though Humperdinck breaks in in a film. Because this is a man we've seen do amazing physical feats before. uh, And now his body is unable to move. And so he is winning this fight through determination and cunning alone. And his ability to, like, sell to the Count, this is what I'm going to do to you. Do not fight me. uh, Is just phenomenal for me. The to the pain speech. Yes. Yeah, I, it's one of those I'm going to scare you until you decide not to fight against me so that I don't have to actually do this since I can't. And I mean, we but, know Humperdinck's a cat. Right. And, and this is this is true for the Dread Pirate Roberts as well, because that name is passed down and it's the name that inspires fear and gets ships to surrender. Yeah. But I mean, Humperdinck really... He only likes dealing with things where he's in complete control. He doesn't send out the stuff for Wesley, he, the boats for Wesley. He doesn't do anything where there might be opposition. He, he only does things where he knows he's going to be in control. Mm-hmm. And so just telling him, here's stuff I'm going to do, he's like, ah, I not want to deal with this. <laughs> yes. And then he's like, no, I know he couldn't stand up. Well, it doesn't matter yeah, at this point. You're tied to a chair. You've already lost. Uh, but, oh, this is a credit to William Goldman's writing because this speech is truly intimidating. If someone on a bed said this to me, I'm not sure I would fight them, even if I had a sword in my hand. I don't know if it would be worth it, given his reputation and the words he is saying to my face at that moment. So, again... The writing delivers on the the promise of the the scene setting. Anyway, let's let's get to the end, uh, where they finish up the story. They get on horses. Fezzik is clearly portrayed by a stunt double because no horse wants to carry five hundred and forty <laughs> pounds. I just like Buttercup coming out the window and her dress all oh, fluttery. Yeah, it's it's a very very pretty image. Yeah, I expected the same effect for the man in black, who was pretty much disabled at that point. He could barely walk. Well, uh, so, uh, what I don't get is he tells Inigo to go first, and then he gives his little speech, and he says, oh, you should be the Dread Pirate Roberts, and then he jumps out after he had just told him to leave. <laughs> so, Yeah, it doesn't have to make sense. Uh, but the final scene, final, final scene. The grandfather, grandfather, gets... <laughs> We're doing that again? Yes. Uh, it's a mixture between grandfather and grandpa. And grandpa. Um, yes. Gets his things together, leaves, or starts to leave the room. 
the the kid. Does the kid even have a name? I can't remember. I think he just no, called just the, the grandson. The grandson. Yeah, the grandson. The grandson asked him to come back and read the story. Ask Columbo. Ask Columbo. <laughs> just one more thing. Can you come back and read the story again? And he finishes. And the grandfather says, as, as you, you wish. wish which we know end. means, I love you. Yeah. So an alternate You know, Darth ending. Vader says that to the emperor, too. <laughs> Well, obviously he—he's <laughs> as got you a wish, my master. Creepy uh, so, an alternate final scene for this film that they shot but cut out of the final uh, edit of the film was the grandson going to the window and seeing outside of his window are four heroes with their horses, and they decided wisely that the two worlds shouldn't mix. There's plenty of other movies that do that, where like the story you're reading comes into the real world, like Labyrinth. Yeah, and they just wanted they dance on the bed. No, this is a this is a story. It's a story that they've passed down from grandfather to grandson. It should remain a story. It's not a real thing. And and I think it it ending with kind of it starts with him being like, I don't want my grandfather there. He pinches my cheeks. Yeah. I, we're not close. I don't want him. And to it end with that moment of the, what is the story's version of I love you Mm. and I want you to come back, Mm -hmm. I think is a good closure. I don't think it needs anything more. I'd say that's correct. That always, well, when I was younger, I don't really know what I thought this time watching it through, but the grandpa leaves and says, as you wish. And I always wondered if that was like trying to say that he was wesley yeah i think that's another angle they could have taken with it but i don't yeah i just don't i don't know if wesley came to the real world and then became a detective and then became a grandfather yeah though i don't know it's just something i used to think the grandfather talks about his father telling him this story maybe maybe he's (laughs) wesley the fourth Ooh. Marrying Buttercup the fifth, <laughs> Dread Pirate Wesley the fourth. Oh. I ha- I had this thing where I try to convince someone to name their dog the Dread Pirate Roberts, <laughs> and then nickname it something, and then every dog you had after that could also be the Dread Pirate Roberts, <laughs> and just have a different nickname. No, that's so sad. <laughs> I mean, they could all be the Dread Pirate Roberts. Every dog you have, because. It's the title, not the name. I know, but it just makes me think of dogs dying, which is a sad thought. Everyone dies, Carl. What? Except for rocks. Oh, thank God. All right. You can get a pet rock. <laughs> okay. Good Good and great. Wow. All right. Yeah, uh, good. Way to go. Overall, any other final notes for the film? Why didn't Mass come back into style? There's because, that line where he talks about because they're not as comfortable as he made them seem. Because he says he's, they're comfortable, and and in a few years everyone's gonna be wearing them, and he they're not, and no one did, and why not? <laughs> oh, uh, so one plot hole that I looked up for this film was, uh, Inigo and Fezzik find Wesley because they hear him screaming when his life is being drained, right? Um, and. Inigo points out to Fezzik, well, that's got to be the man in black because his true love is marrying another. Who else could feel such pain today? There's no reason for him to know that Buttercup is his true love.
That's true. Movie yes. magic. Movies <laughs> is the correct answer. Or since this is a part of a children's book, you know, narrative conceits. I thought your your plot thing was gonna be the fact that she's called Princess Buttercup when she hasn't gotten married yet. Oh yeah. yeah the, I, the title I, is I, misleading. At the end of this movie, she's neither in, a princess nor a bride. In the no, but book, that she he they but what's that. her what's his face? Humperdinck called her the princess. Sure. When he announced in the her book, to the people. They fixed that. Well, they don't fix that because the book comes first. Um, what happens in the book is he wants to marry a peasant, but he has to marry a princess. So what he does is takes a peasant and makes her the princess of a fake country huh. is how it's explained. Okay, that makes more sense. They just the, don't bring it into Yeah, the, that the would version. overcomplicate. Uh, film that's already kind of overloaded for an hour and yeah. a half. But but f- for in the book, he's just like, well, I need you to be a princess, so guess what? You're the princess of Ardvarkia now. <laughs> that's not the country. It was yes. just the first thing I thought of. Oh, I thought you were going to pull the one from Princess Diaries. Um, nope, I can't do it either. Oh, Mia Thermopolis. <laughs> A Genovia. Genovia, yep. thank you. <laughs> All right. I had to go through the name and then so I got to So before we go on Genovia. to games. Genovia. <laughs> I, uh, I have to throw in my book report here. Um, so I read through the entirety of As You Wish. It's not a good book. I would not recommend reading it. Carrie Ellis is not a good writer. He has interesting tidbits. He has interesting stories. The best parts were these inserts from other people. But it was a struggle to get through. Do not buy this book. Like some of his some of his uh, writing, for instance, was now Andre was very tall, but he wasn't known for ta- telling tall tales. Like it's dun, dun, dun. that level of writing. <laughs> My book report on the Princess Bride the book yes go read it it's good <laughs> the go end. read the gory endings <laughs> instead of the childish version well, well I, I mean it's, I, it's not that gory like it's just well, that actually sounds very interesting to me like if you enjoyed yeah. the film as a child now that you're a bit older maybe get into the darker yeah. side of the story i i read right. I, I saw the movie first and then i read the book in high school and i've read um the other book that's written it's not a sequel, but it's it's supposed to be S. Morgenstern's kind of it's well this every um Princess Bride got popular because of this this version. Well, I'm gonna write an actual book in English, and you're gonna see me as a real author. So it's it's uh, it's another fake book. Uh, it's another book written by the fake author called The Silent Gondolier. Yeah. Um, that's also really funny. So anyway, as you wish. I was just going to close that off, is a, a New York Times bestseller. And I think that's because it's being sold on the name of the Princess Bride. The writing and storytelling in it does not live up to that. So if you're buying it because you love the Princess Bride, maybe think otherwise. I will that save like every you library? some money. Yeah. All right. If there's nothing else, let's go on to games. <laughs> Our first game is the pitch game, where we smash together two separate films to come up with what this film is in terms of other movies. 
So, Sarah, you are going to start us off. What is The Princess Bride in terms of other films? So, because it is weirdly a kind of self-referential fantasy movie meets a kind of romantic fantasy, I did Ella Enchanted meets Lady Hawk. Oh, Wow, I was not guessing either of those. Well done, you surprised me. All right, so I've got a Rob Reiner film featuring Christopher Guest with a comedic wink, but all characters playing their roles completely straight, and a film where a man dressed in black with a mask who is an expert swordsman, a drunkard who is an equally skilled with the sword, defeating a nobleman. This is, this is Spinal Tap meets The Mask of Zorro. <laughs> yep, I knew the second one pretty quickly. All right, so we talked about this earlier, and Carl won't like this one, but I'm going to get it out of the way. So it's Carrie Elwes as a dashing rogue rescuing a damsel being forced to marry against her will, and it has the similar sense of humor-ish. And uh, a, fantasy, a fantasy story where the majority of the film is told as if it is being read out of a book. It's Robin Hood Men in Tights meets the Neverending Story. Ah, okay. I have both. Yeah, but well, in I, different I figured combinations. everybody would, so I wanted to get rid of it. All right, Sarah. Okay. So, Carrie Elway's in a semi parody ish comedy fantasy movie. And a fantasy movie about true love and a woman being forced into a relationship against her will, where she is rescued by herself and other people. It's Robin Hood Men in Tights meets Ever After. Oh, Yeah, I so I looked at, I think, all of the ones that you've done, maybe, and, like, I don't know them well enough to use them, but I'm glad they got in here. Oh, we're getting to Ever After at some. Yes, all right. Uh, so Tori will make you watch. I also have Carrie Elwes playing a tongue-in-cheek hero in a medieval setting, upsetting the plans of a prince regent and running away with a lovely maiden, meets a story being passed down through the generations featuring a giant, a small bossy man, and a hero going through trials to be with his true love. This is Robin Hood Men in Tights meets Big Fish. Ooh. I like that movie. It's great. I have not seen that in a long time. I would not have thought of that. And obviously I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mark. Uh, all right. The next one. Medieval setting, rolling hills, dangerous forests, and strange creatures, and a comedic tone with many quotable lines that people know even if they haven't seen the movie, meets a movie where the main character is seen as a villain by most of the other characters, but falls in love with the heroine, and with the help of a small group of friends, rescues her from a loveless marriage and becomes the beloved hero. We have Monty Python and the Holy Grail meets Shrek. Oh. Uh. Well done. Uh, a, a part of that, I thought you were going to say, um, instead of she falls in love with a heroine, is that he falls in love with heroin. Well, That's what I, I mean... heard in my mind. <laughs> That's a different movie. Yes, a very strange and different, very different adaptation. Movie. All so, right, Sarah, keep us moving. Let's go. Ones, ones we already have are uh, a semi-parody of fantasy tropes meets a movie about reading books and the stories within the books, which is Shrek meets the never-ending story. Wow, look at you. 
pop it up. All right, uh, an old man reading fairy tales with most of the time being spent in the world of the story meets a medieval movie with a comic tilt that has since become a cult classic and has a plethora of lines that people quote. It is the uh, Jim Henson's storyteller meets Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. I haven't seen that in a really long time. Am I the only one left? I believe so. Okay. I, I lost our numbers. Well, I Do had you... one more movie, but not one more he- whole thing. So yeah, I also had one more movie that I couldn't quite combine them in. together. Um, <laughs> wait, I may have. I've lost it. I didn't. I didn't Sarah, write it please. down. So I yeah, just finish okay. this game. Because it is a. I, I'm using the word semi parody a lot today. It's it's a par- parody of a melodramatic genre meets a fantasy epic where the female romantic lead has really, really great blonde hair. It's Spaceballs meets Stardust. Oh, Stardust does have the great hair. You're talking about the star? The yeah, star Claire Danes has great hair in that movie. Oh, Stardust is an amazing film. I watched that again the other day. It's so good. It's good. It's also the, the guy from too. Daredevil. Yeah. Anywho. It looks good, too. Let's move on to our second game, which is alternate taglines. Taglines being a word or phrase you would see on the poster for the film, trying to summarize the theme of the movie, though hopefully in our case, missing the point. So, I know this was rough for all of us. It's usually rough, but this one's hard in that not even the professional marketers for the film knew what the theme of this film was. They had no idea how to market it to people. So let's see if we can do better, I guess. Uh, so, uh, Sarah, you're going to once oh, again... Oh, I will not do better. Yeah, you're going to once again start us off. Give us the tagline for The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride. Life is pain, but this movie isn't. <laughs> Well, yeah, I we're just trying to sell you that. this movie. <laughs> I told you it wasn't better. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't, mine would not work in writing, did but we, it did, is. Did you find any real ones? Oh, there's yeah, one on the actual real movie boring. poster. Yeah, yeah. The, sorry. But I don't know. It's uh, I didn't find it officially, officially. It just happened to be on the poster. Yeah, that's anyway, how I saw it, too. My but. first one is The Princess Bride. Two of conquers all. Uh, yep. Well, mine is very similar. It was the Princess Bride. Death cannot stop true love. Ah, all it can do is slow it down for a little while. Mm-hmm. The Princess Bride, the only thing better than an MLT. <laughs> yes. <laughs> When the tomato is so crisp and mmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, the Princess Bride. Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. It's going to be the best sick day ever. Are we sure that's not the real one? It's not. I'm s- it seems pretty close. It's pretty close. I'm, th- I'm kind of glad I didn't because both of the, your last two were ones that I had thought of and didn't write down. Uh, so my next one, The Princess Bride. When I was your age, television was called books. <laughs> uh, phenomenal. 
which has nothing to do with the movie at all. But <laughs> all right, I'm trying to to read this poster to give the actual one. I can't quite make out the words. There's five taglines. According to IMDb, I sure didn't find any. There was One's... I saw like two of them on the posters. I googled Princess Bride taglines and it took me to an IMDb page. It yeah. took me to an IMDb page that had no taglines on yeah, it. Yeah, that's the same one I saw. I've got five. All right. I, well, I see them tell now. us yours. The story of a man and woman who lived happily ever after, even though the courtship almost killed them. All right, this is the one I've seen. Uh, so on the poster, it's the grandfather and grandson in chair and bed respectively but in like yeah. fantasy pillars it's scaling the cliffs of insanity battling rodents of unusual size facing torture in the pit of despair true love has never been a snap why snap though yeah I don't that's what i have no idea why <laughs> snap like carrie elwes's toe yeah probably yikes all right, the one you said is probably like mine, is heroes, giants, villains, wizards, mm. true love, not just your basic, average, everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, ho-hum fairy tale. Yeah. Anyway, I still like mine better. <laughs> All right, Mark, I think you're up. Oh, am I? Yep. I thought I just said one. Did you? When I'm I was done. your age, television was called books. Oh, you did say that. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> All right. My last one has to do with the audio in the film, which I feel like is hard to hear in some spots. That's because you're an old man. Probably. Uh, but The Princess Bride, barely audible, but infinitely quotable. See, you have good ones, too. My last one I am still not very proud of either. But The Princess Bride, a fairy tale on steroids. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Fezzik did not take steroids. <laughs> he was born that way, Mark. The, what, he, he doesn't, doesn't even, even exercise. He doesn't even exercise. That's right. <sighs> All right, let's finish off with our final game, uh, which is a TV guide game, a description of the plot of the film you may see in a Netflix or TV guide description. Uh, though, once again, possibly missing the point. So, Sarah, start us off. Give us the plot of The Princess Bride. A king's dementia lets his son's power get way out of control. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, in the pursuit of his girl, an experienced killer prevents one man's murder plot while helping another man achieve his own. You look so proud of yourself. <laughs> I usually am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Years after a successful career in law enforcement, a retired Detective Columbo annoys his bedridden grandson by reading him a love story. Oh, okay. You, if you're going to bring in Columbo, you got to bring in Kevin Arnold as well. From the one uh, he hadn't years. been Kevin Arnold it's yet. true. That was until next year. Five. <laughs> okay. A couple's courtship is complicated because of economic problems. Mm, very nice. Uh, just an old man reading a book for an hour and a half end of movie <laughs> yep that would be a great movie <laughs> a lowly farmhand adopts a new persona and kidnaps the princess 
princes would-be bride after years of serving her has left him with Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> A young man learns that pirates have better upward mobility options for careers than legal business. Mm-hmm. Uh, a man is finally able to get his revenge when three strangers show up at his door seeking a miracle. Oh, oh I love Miracle Max. Okay, are we, are we, we really we, are, done now? Are we done, done now? All righty. Let's go on to reviews. Our first review scale is, of course, our potato scale, where we will tell you uh, what you will feel watching this film in terms of our relationships with potatoes. So who would like to start? What is the Princess Bride in terms of potatoes? Five Guys Fries, Mashed Potatoes, and Gold Potatoes. Mm -hmm. So Five Guys Fries is perfect movie. Best thing. Mashed Potatoes, heartwarming. It's great. Mm -hmm. And Gold Potato was for triumphant moment. Especially when Inigo... Inigo? Gets... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> gets revenge for his father. Yeah. Y- yeah. This one was pretty straightforward it when it came to oh. I'm pretty sure all of us are going to be similar. I Mine was Golden Five Guys Fries Casserole. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, obviously, what you said, the triumphant moments, especially Inigo fighting, uh, getting his revenge, Five Guys Fries, because, obviously, the best movie um and the casseroles because i think there were bits in this for all ages because i remember Mm -hmm. even as a kid there were parts that i enjoyed even if there were some things that i didn't fully understand (laughs) what was going on (laughs) at the time at least now that i've watched it again i remember things that i didn't remember happening back then so yeah but as an adult there's definitely things to watch for too so. Well, mine is very similar, but very simple. I don't tend to give out a lot of Five Guys fries. Uh, so when I do, it's just, that's the only thing. This is in a category in of itself. If there was something higher than Five Guys fries, I would give it to it. But since Five Guys fries is that all the emotional notes work, all the emotional notes are great, and it's just one of the best movies out there. I think I can't give it anything less than Five Guys Fries, and I don't know if I want to dilute that by giving it anything else. So for me, it's Five Guys Fries. It is the paragon of movies. This brings us on to our second rating scale, which is a more traditional 0 to 10 scale, telling you about the rewatchability of this film. I mean, we're all giving it a 10, right? Oh, I was going to give it a 15. Oh, well, you're not You told me I couldn't do that! (laughs) I'm just waiting for her to throw something at her computer since she can't throw it at you. You got mad at me! Oh, I did. I did do this. Yes. So... I I would get knocked down to a 10, certainly. I I will say... We talked about those special effects things that are a little dated. So I was going to give it a 9.99 just because of the, because the, the movie itself, I think you don't even uh, each time, because I watched it twice uh, this time and each time that was the only part, like I just, I, in those scenes with the eels and the rats was just kind of like, that is really fake looking, but 
it doesn't really, I mean, I forgot about it by the end of the movie because you're so into the story and all you, you fall in love with the characters and everything mm-hmm. that's going on. You don't even think about those terrible rat costumes by the end <laughs> of the movie. So I, it, it wasn't don't enough to Don't be mean to, to the rats. They've had much. a hard life. <laughs> they have to live in the, the uh, fire swamp. I mean, nobody's building summer homes there. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I will knock it down from a 15, I guessed, to a perfect 10. <laughs> I guess, uh, if I have Yeah, because if not, Muppets <laughs> and Willow have to go back up. <laughs> yes, I just wanted people to know I would give this film a 15. Um, as I've repeatedly said, it is my favorite movie, and for good reason. This movie holds up fantastically. The only thing that is a little dated, like we said, is the costumes, but there's enough charm in the film that that all kind of doesn't matter. Uh, Also, possibly the video game at the beginning of the film. (laughs) Uh, But who knows? Maybe he just has an old Atari system or whatever and is playing on whatever his mom happened to buy. Who's to say? But... I think this movie is perfect, so a 10 for me. It, it takes place during the 80s. They were just getting proper time period appropriate props. Yeah, there you go. It gets a 10. Yeah. I think that's going to wrap up reviews. Uh, so what else do we have to do? Uh, can, <laughs> Sarah, can you tell people where they can find us online if they choose to do so? You can find us on Facebook at Retrograding Podcast. You can find each other at Retrograding Party Line. Our website is retrograding.fireside.fm. And we're also on iTunes under the podcast section on Retrograde. Call, I mean, just search Retrograding. Yeah, you've, Leave us a- <laughs> you've already found it if you're listening to this. <laughs> yes. Um, but if you want to share it with other people and you found it in a different way, that's a way to tell them. Yeah. Give us a like, a review, a share. Tell your friends. Tell people who are not your friends, but are not your enemies, because if you're enemies, they will probably won't listen to it. Um, but yeah, and get the word out there. We like that. Yeah, it makes us happy. It does. It makes us immensely happy. Our music, Hey, Carl. Yeah. Yeah, I was, was going to tell you. I was just about to go into our music. Uh, Sometimes you forget. Our music is done by Dominique Barnes. You can find her on SoundCloud at Dominique A. Barnes if you'd like to contact her or know more. So... Is gonna bring us into our final segment, which is guys, I learned something today, and for the first time in this podcast history, we'll be turning it over to Mark. Mark, what? What is our lesson for Who? the day? We learned something today. No, no. What is the name of the segment? I don't know. Guys, guys I learned, I learned something. something today. Love, true love. <laughs> Will forever follow you forever. So twizzle your love. <laughs> well, you heard it here third. All right, that's <laughs> going to close off this episode of Retrograding. We will catch you guys next time.
I don't know. They didn't hear it here first. All righty. So let's. I have one more. Yeah, I have one more also. I don't (laughs) keep track of numbers. I wrote them elsewhere. Okay. I was just going to. It. Yep. Yep. All right. Okay. Uh, Here we go. Oh, shoot. I lost my frame of thought. (laughs) Frame of thought? That's the one. How dare you? Right on cue. <laughs> How do you get a call every day? We get a lot of sales calls. The amount of times you get called is ridiculous. And also, it's my sister. Uh, of Surprise. Course of course it is. Hey Kate, does you're she, getting referenced does she the not have cell phones? She's calling from her cell phone. <sighs> we don't get reception here. You oh, know this. You've right. been to this house. Alright, alright, alright. Okay, guys, I gotta pause for a minute. Oh, what's up? Because I'm looking out my window and a dog just ran by. <laughs> it's not my dog. I don't know whose dog it is. There's also a child in my yard now. Guys, and I hold on. Was... There's a dog. I assume I that, the, was... that the dog belongs to the child or maybe the other yeah, way around. Yeah, they might be associated. They might be in cahoots I... on this. <laughs> no, there's a ton of children and I think they lost the dog. Oh, no. <laughs> I hope my dogs aren't outside. Uh, they would they would attack it. They would no. They would not attack the dog. They would attack the children. <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> they love dogs. They don't like children. Well, I didn't let them out, and I don't think my parents are home yet. So okay. I just I looked out, and there was just this beagle puppy just running across. Oh, uh, thank Sorry. you for giving me bloopers. <laughs> that was important. <laughs> so important. Yes. All Beagles. Right. God, this may just stay in. All right. <laughs> 